Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, October 11th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, medical marijuana advocates rally throughout Mississippi. Then we talk with Mississippi Department of Human Services Director Bob Anderson as his agency looks to move past a major scandal. And public mental health care faces an uncertain future in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi lawmakers have reached an agreement on legislation to establish a medical marijuana program in the state, but some cannabis advocates continue to demand a restoration of Ballot Initiative 65. That's the Medical Marijuana Citizen Initiative that was struck down in the Supreme Court. This weekend, backers of the initiative, calling themselves We Are the 74%, rallied in six Mississippi cities. Kobe Vance spoke with Lucy Ogden, who was at an event in Jackson. Basically, the bottom line is that the medical marijuana bill that the people passed with a 74% vote, they, the people voted for it and they took it away. That's basically. So my, uh, the reason I'm here is because that doesn't seem like democracy. That seems like somebody upstairs decides something against what the people want. The state legislature has uh, proposed a bill and uh, they've announced that they, you know, they've got this plan in place for whenever the session does start. Um, do you think that is going to match up for what voters you know, voted for? Well, everything I read is like absolutely not. There were people that put a lot of thought and a lot of research into the 65, and it, it was a fair, it, it was actually allowed the people to have more say. From what I understand, the bill that's passed is going to let a few people buy the license or something to grow the pot, and um, it's not going to let... I mean, it's it took everything away that was in the bill, and it's, it's a substitute, a, a weak substitute. What does it mean to you to have your vote um, overturned like that? Well, it's scary because... Um, you know, it's, it's scary because we were always taught, I'm sure, that Governor Reeves and Speaker Gunn 
and all of those people went to civics class. We were all taught that you vote in America and your vote counts. But the way that they took it away is so blatant. It was a total slap in the face. You almost, I mean, I would rather be doing something else today, for sure. It's hot. I'm sweaty. You, you can't not do something if they, it's that blatant. At least they could hide it, but they did it, and it's, it was a slap in the face. David Singletary is from Florence. He was at that same rally. Well, the whole thing started uh, back in May when the Supreme Court threw out your vote within the boundaries of the land of the free. Now, one of the main things that make us American is our vote. And one thing we should hold sacred in this country is our vote. Now, we all realize that marijuana is going to be legal inevitably. But we're here mainly protesting is how our vote was not considered and how 74% of the people are having to bow down to 26% of the people that are rich and run the state. The meek and the weak shall inherit the earth. But why are the rich and the powerful screwing it up? Recently, the state legislature announced that they had a bill that they were uh, ready to uh, discuss more. And have you, have you had a chance to look at what they were proposing for the state's medical marijuana program? The state legislature is the reason that Mississippi continues to be in last place in this country and has done so for over 60 years of my life. Anything the legislators put forth will fall short of BI-65, and the majority will of the people. The America I live in, the intent of the people, rules supreme. I have looked vaguely. We do not need a limitation on growers. We, we need to let the economic laws of supply and demand dictate, which dictate the American capitalistic society today. So they're saying they want to limit the growers for the rich and the powerful that make investments in the grow operations. Well, I say let the laws of supply and demand weed them out. I've heard something about a $40,000 annual permit, which is cost prohibitive for poor people to participate in. So we need to look down the lines that uh, uh, interstate trafficking laws will be released by the federal government, and we need to position ourselves for a future cannabis market instead of a highly restrictive medical one. I, I live in America, the land of the free. I do not need a medical marijuana card to be tracked like an animal. And I have no problem with smoking marijuana and carrying a gun, both of which are required under the medical marijuana law. And I think the municipalities or counties can opt out if they want to. So do you think the governor should call a special session so lawmakers can come in earlier and begin to discuss this more? I don't think the Supreme Court should have thrown it out to begin with. I think you had 74% of the people voting, which is a three-quarters majority of the state. I think when they voted in the election for BI-65, it should have been written into the Constitution and made law then. Supreme Court overstepped their bounds and authority in what they've done 
And that just shows that the 26% of the powerful in this state are running the show. Now, the governor needs to call a special session. Otherwise, it's going to get bogged down in the general session at the 1st of January. And you got a bunch of coronavirus money that's got to be spent, too. That was David Singletary, along with Lucy Ogden of We Are the 74%. Coming up, it's been an ugly couple of years for Mississippi's Department of Human Services. What's next? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's Department of Human Services says it's on the road to recovery after a massive fraud scandal. That scandal was uncovered by State Auditor Shad White, who launched an investigation of the department in in 2019. His office found that MDHS's former director, John Davis, funneled federal temporary assistance for needy families, or TANF, funds to friends and acquaintances over a period of years. Those included Nancy and Zach New, who allegedly embezzled millions from a series of special needs schools they operated. The alleged scheme also included more bizarre appropriations, such as the bankrolling of former pro wrestler Brett DiBiase's stay at a luxury drug rehab facility in Malibu. Recently, MDHS has undergone a forensic audit to better gauge the full depths of inappropriate expenditures under John Davis. Bob Anderson has served as the department's director throughout that process. He speaks with Desiree Frazier. The audit was done to determine what TANF funds were used allowably, you know, consistent with with federal guidelines and federal law, and what funds were not used in, in accordance with those guidelines. What the audit involved was every, you know, every transaction in TANF funds at this agency for that four-year period from January 1, 2016 to December 31st, 2019. That's covers the whole period that John Davis was executive director because he left the agency in July, the end of July of 2019. Who was involved? I mean, the forensic audit team, Spent a lot of time with our internal staff. They interviewed as many of the sub-grantees that that would talk with them as they could get uh, access to. They interviewed uh, some of the so-called partners with MD and MCEC who would talk with them. There's a list in the audit reports, which are on our website, of all of the all the individuals that they contact. It was a large uh, array of, of people. Uh, uh, who who they interviewed and got records from over the course of the forensic audit. And so we know that millions were embezzled. Well, I I don't know that I would use the word embezzled, Desiree. What we know is that these monies were used in ways that are unallowable under the TANF guidelines. Either there was not adequate documentation or the funds were not spent on families uh, that were financially needy or they were not spent on funds for families at all. You know, TANF requires that the funds be used for needy families. And some of these funds were used for families, but not needy families. Some of the funds were used for individuals who obviously individuals are not 
families. And so those are the, the TANF guidelines. The total figure that, determ- that was determined to be unallowable is $36 million for MDHS and our subgrantees, and then there's a $40,600,000 figure that relates to MCEC that's still unresolved until we can get access to their records. So the total amount is you know, just over $76 million. Will there be any way to recoup that money? Well, we certainly hope so. You know, we have retained outside counsel. The agency has retained uh, former U.S. Attorney Brad Pigott uh, to represent us, and he is preparing to commence litigation. Uh, I'm also advised that, you know, the Department of Justice, both the Civil Division in Maine Justice and, you know, locally the U.S. Attorney's Office here certainly has uh, an open investigation, and so we will do our best to recoup it, but um, you know, as to how much we actually get, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything but speculate. The way that, right, so, the way that TANF is administered, it gives states a lot of flexibility. Bad idea? Well, it's a block grant. I mean, it, it, it depends on you know what what your philosophy is. If you want to have flexibility, you still have to operate within you know, the four basic tenets of, you know, dealing with families and dealing with uh, needy people. I mean, I, you know, I, I think uh, Congress decided in, you know, 1996 uh, to take the old uh, aid to families with dependent children and convert it into a block grant, and that's the way states have been operating TANF for, you know, the last 25 years. If it's used responsibly, I think it's a good idea. I think it works well. It helps a lot of families. But uh, but then you got to be used, on the honor system. It seems well, like. you do. But I mean, we we operate these agencies uh, on an honor system with the expectation that the leadership in these agencies are going to be dedicated to helping families and not dedicated to just helping their friends. And you know that's that's where things went wrong. Here was uh, John Davis just decided he was going to distribute these funds to those whom he chose to distribute them to, and and accountability went out the window. Of the list of grantees in the report, how many are being cut off? Are you cutting off any? Some of the, certainly MCEC and FRC, we're not actually doing any business with a large number of the partners or lower-tier sub-grantees who were, you know, sub-recipients who were doing business with MCEC. Uh, We don't have active grants with most of them. If those who are mentioned in the sub in the forensic audit were not found to have had any unallowable costs, then sure we're probably still doing business with them if they applied. But we do we award subgrants differently now. We have a very robust request for proposals process where we appoint a selection committee that that scores all of the proposals. You know we set a minimum score 75 points on those proposals before they can go forward to to be awarded a subgrant. So we're doing things differently from in the past where in the past the, the guideline was simply what upper-level management decided about who was going to get a subgrant. So does that they, mean the decision-making is more across the board in terms of absolutely. employee involvement? Well, we have this, we have this uh, selection committee that is – composed of both staff in this agency, and we have uh, brought in um, folks from other agencies to sit on our selection committee. 
So, yes, there's a broader participation in reviewing the subgrant proposals, and, and a selection committee uh, makes a decision. Let me also say that we changed the rules in the sense that executive directors, you know, neither I nor any of my successors, have the authority to overturn a recommendation from the selection committee that a potential subgrantee be awarded a subgrant. Nor do I have the authority or any other sub, uh, other subsequent executive director have the authority to overturn a decision that somebody should not get a subgrant. Our conversation with MDHS Director Bob Anderson continues on tomorrow's show. Coming up, the state keeps swinging in a court battle over its mental health care system. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. The state is appealing a federal court ruling that found Mississippi's Department of Mental Health to be in violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. As of now, the department is under court order to significantly expand public mental health care offerings and do so under the supervision of an independent monitor. Joy Hogue is the executive director of a mental health advocacy group called Families as Allies. She tells Desiree Frazier she's frustrated by the state's decision to keep fighting the case. I was extremely disappointed and sad but not surprised because it was pretty consistent with everything they've done up until this point. What are they being asked to do in your mind that they can't fulfill or don't want to fulfill? The basic thing they're being asked to do is to implement the services that they already say they provide and to do it in a way where people across the state would have access to those services. The part that they don't, that they seem to be resisting is that the judge ordered that they needed to do that and then that it should be independently monitored. So an expert in mental health and how to set up these kind of services would monitor whether or not they're actually doing that. And they objected to that. And then the other thing they objected to is that the judge ordered that in addition to monitoring the services, that there had to be a process set up to ask, I think it was between 100 and 200 people receiving services every year, if they were getting those services and if those services were actually helping them. So it was a clinical review process. So they're objecting to that. Have you had any discussions with the mental health department about this issue? Yes, we have actually, I've actually talked, had discussions with them about this. The confusing thing about this is, is it's the attorney general's office who actually filed the appeal and apparently makes the decisions about this. And the Department of Mental Health when we've talked about this, has deferred all of that to the attorney general. And it appears that just from the outside looking in, that what the Department of Mental Health is doing and what the attorney general decides 
aren't necessarily the same, aren't necessarily coordinated. So I don't know that the Department of Mental Health had any input into this appeal, which is odd and in a way concerning because you would hope that the two things would be coordinated. But from my conversations with the Department of Mental Health, it does not sound like they are. And the remedy that was ordered will still be being, will still be implemented throughout the appeal process. And the only thing that will stop it is if in the Fifth Circuit where this appeal will be heard is if the Fifth Circuit rules to overturn the verdict. So the Department of Mental Health, from what I understand, will be proceeding forward with the remedy, even though the Attorney General has filed this appeal. What remedies um, have been put in place that you think are really helpful? Well, the remedy has just started its implementation. I think some of the most helpful things will be is is the actual monitoring and it for us to know are these services actually being implemented the way we're being told they are and are people actually getting the services and are they helping them because we don't have that data and to me that would be the most important thing to find out i think of the different services that are being implemented they're all very important, but I would like to know more about our people when they call crisis teams and crisis lines across Mississippi actually getting that in-person response if they need it 24-7, and are they getting helped by those crisis services? I'd like to know more about that and if that's really happening in the way that people find it helpful. Are those things, I think I just want to know, are those things actually happening? And I want to know that from an independent source. What is the role of the special master, Michael Hogan, in all of this? Okay. So he was the special master. So he was the one that the judge appointed to help the two sides craft a remedy. And they weren't able to agree on a remedy. So he took both sides and came up with a proposal for the judge. And it was basically to use the state's own plan with the state's own services, but add the monitoring and add that clinical review where you go ask people, are the services actually helping you? So that's the plan. And then he's now been, and this was the one thing in this whole trial that both sides agreed on. Both sides, when they had to recommend a monitor, so who would actually oversee all this as it was being implemented, both sides chose him. So I think that speaks to, they know him because he was a special master and they both sides must respect him. And I, from what I know of him, I certainly respect him. I think it's a great choice. So now he will oversee the implementation of the remedy to make sure it's going in the way it's supposed to go and be the one to give the reports to the judge about that. He will do that until the Court of Appeals makes their determination. Exactly. That is right. And I think from what I understand, it takes typically takes a while for the appeal process. And then my hope is that the Court of Appeals will agree with Judge Reeves' ruling so that this whole process of the appeal will although it's wasting time and tax dollars, that it will be irrelevant. Joy Hogue is the executive director of Families as Allies. 
Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.